Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 253 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man, some call, that guy that owes Robin a beer, Chris Roche. Hey, Chris. <laughs> the controversy starts immediately. <laughs> today we're fine. He's about to lose his drive to, uh, to Hulkenberg. That's the rumor I'm hearing. So I, I don't know what you owe me in that case. I, I guess... Uh, Mercedes or something, right? We're still down. We're, you're still down a beer. Um, today, we're going to talk about the Monaco and Canadian Grand Prix, which were the sixth and seventh rounds of the Formula One Championship. It is Wednesday morning, June 12th, and here are the results of both Grand Prix. In Monaco, it was... <clears throat> you'll never guess. Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes that won the race... He was followed by Sebastian Vettel, who was uh, second in the lead Ferrari. Uh, Valtteri Bottas was third in the lead Mercedes, in the second Mercedes, and Max Verstappen was fourth in the lead Red Bull Racing Honda. Pierre Gasly was right behind his teammate in fifth, and uh, Carlos Sainz was sixth in the McLaren lead McLaren. Seventh and eighth were both Toro Rosso, Daniel Kvyat, and then Alexander Albon. Ninth place, the lead Renault, Daniel Ricciardo, and tenth and final point went to Romain Grosjean in the Haas Ferrari. Eleventh went to Lando Norris in the second McLaren. Twelfth place, Sergio Perez in the lead Racing Point Mercedes. Thirteenth, Nico Hulkenberg in the second Renault. Fourteenth, Kevin Magnussen in the second Haas. Fifteenth, George Russell um, was... Uh, yep, one lap down. Okay, I thought he was on the lead lap for what? Fifteenth uh, went to uh, George Russell in the lead Williams Mercedes. Sixteenth went to Lance Stroll in the second Racing Point Mercedes. Seventeenth, Kimi Raikkonen in the second Alfa Romeo. No, lead Alfa Romeo Ferrari. Eighteenth, Robert Kubica in the Williams Mercedes. And the Williams were not last on track, and they were ahead of someone that also finished the race. Because the 19th place was Antonio Giovinazzi in the second Alfa Romeo racing Ferrari. And it was Charles Leclerc, the one and only person that did not finish the uh, Monaco Grand Prix. Moving on to Canada. It was, drumroll, Lewis Hamilton that won the race uh, in the lead Mercedes. He was followed by a pair of Ferraris, Sebastian Vettel in second, Charles Leclerc in third. Those are the official results. We'll get to who crossed the flag first in a moment. Valtteri Bottas was fourth in the second Mercedes. Max Verstappen fifth in the lead Red Bull Racing Honda. Daniel Ricciardo uh, led his teammate Nico Hulkenberg sixth and seventh for Renault. Eighth place went to Pierre Gasly in the second Red Bull Racing Honda. Ninth place Lance Stroll in the leading uh, Racing Point Mercedes. Oh, wow, look at that. Lance Stroll leading. 10th place, uh, Daniel Kvyat in the leading Scudier Toro Rosso Honda. 11th place, Carlos Sainz in the lead McLaren. 12th place, Sergio Perez in the second Racing Point Mercedes. 13th, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi in the leading Alfa Romeo Ferrari. 14th place, Romain Grosjean in the leading Haas Ferrari. 15th, Kimi Raikkonen in the second Alfa Romeo Ferrari. 16th place, uh, George Russell in the Williams, 17th, Kevin in the second Haas Ferrari, 18th, Robert Kubica in the second Williams Mercedes, and then two good people were not classified. That was Alexander Albon and Lando Norris in the Toro Rosso and McLaren. And Lando, 
he just had the most unfortunate Canadian Grand Prix, and I and I mean that sincerely. So anyway, Chris, let's start with Monaco. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it was um, Ferrari didn't really show up, did they? Um, qualifying, they made a mistake with Leclerc and uh, kept him in the pits, uh, which dumped him out of Q1. His teammate was the actual one who pushed him out. Uh, so another mistake from them, and that obviously gave him a, a tough starting position, which ultimately led to his retirement as he was the only one trying to do any overtaking. Um, and the race basically boiled down to a battle between Verstappen and, uh, and Lewis. Um, obviously the excitement came from Mercedes fitting the wrong tyres to Lewis during the, the pit stop that uh, everyone pitted under the safety car after Leclerc crashed. And... Um, and, it, you know, it's quite exciting. Max gave it a good go. He barged one Mercedes into the pit wall, <laughs> resulting in a, <laughs> in a penalty. Um, had tried to make a pass on Hamilton. Uh, couldn't get it done, uh, but good race. And obviously his penalty resulted in him losing his second position, which was unfortunate because he, he definitely deserved it. He, he drove far better than Vettel, who finished. Uh, he got his second place, um, even though he had a very quiet race. So, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, it was a Mercedes 1-3, not a 1-2, so some hope for the, those non-Mercedes fans out there. And, um, I mean, there were some good performances uh, down the grid, I thought. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, before we go any further, I should say that currently I am, I told you when we were recording, but I did not tell you where we were, we were recording. Uh, Chris is in a hollowed-out bunker 60 feet below the surface of the earth, I think, pretty sure. <laughs> Um, so it's nice and quiet for him, but uh, I am outside of a Starbucks. <laughs> so if, if, if you have traffic in the background, the occasional conversations in the background, that's why. Um, the uh, world headquarters of Fun With Car Studio is currently under construction. Um, yeah, the, you know, there's the standout performance for me, and not necessarily in a good way, came from Charles Leclerc for the race itself. Absolutely agree with you that Ferrari really just just fumbled with the call to not have Leclerc go out one more time and watch his uh, round two qualifying just crumble away. Um, or was it round one? Yeah, was it, it was round one. Round this one. This was after he was, he was fastest is it, in uh, yeah. FP3, so he was looking good. And uh, yeah, he was out in Q1. So he said, forget it, I'm just going to go for it in, uh, in the race, take risks. And he proved to be honest. He definitely took risks. But to me, that showed, I want to say it showed immaturity more than it showed bravery. Oh, I completely disagree with you. Yeah, okay, good. This is good. We can have a discussion. Because Leclerc, he was making risks, but they have to be calculated. And, you know, he was just getting really pushy in the wrong places. And it cost him. Look, I mean, he started 16th, and uh, if you don't take some risks around Monaco, you're going to finish in 16th, right? doesn't matter what car you got, unless there's some shuffling during the pit stops. Maybe there's an opportunity to pass a couple of cars, but he was going to finish well outside the points starting in 16th, unless there was some sort of freak occurrence in the race, right, or massive unreliability. That, that's, you know, well known. You can go through the last 20 years of Monaco results and, and see that uh, for yourselves. I mean, at the end of the day, his pass uh, on Grosjean at Rascas worked beautifully. 
Right, it, um, he dived down the inside, uh, Grosjean gave him enough room, he got the pass done, lovely move. He tried to repeat it on Hulkenberg, um, hugged, took a slightly tighter line, clipped his, uh, his right rear on the arm coat, and, and he was done. I mean, that, there's no margin for error around Monaco, but I completely applaud him for giving it a go, and I have more respect for Charles as a, as, you know, based on his race performance. Much better to try that and go out of the race than to sit there in 16th. Much prefer that approach. Uh, so this is what's beautiful about it. I, I totally agree with you. But I what I've, I agree with you about the uh, Grosjean move, that he uh, made uh, an excellent move in a tight place. Grosjean was respectful, did give him the room, and the pass was completed. Brilliant. He pushed it. it the Hulkenberg, he did not, he did not commit as early with the Hulkenberg I think he was already starting there were very tight limits no margin for error as you mentioned and he found a margin with Grosjean and then he tried a tighter margin with Hulkenberg and it failed on him because he he didn't realize just how close to the edge of everything he was and the reason why it's so frustrating for me is because I think Leclerc's a real talent but because He's young and inexperienced and doesn't have results to uh, lay his hat on. He, he's, he's getting too anxious and making risky decisions when clearly the talent's there. And if he gives it time, I think it'll inevitably bear fruit. I, you know, I think if you're going to criticize him for anything, I think you criticize him for the following lap. So he gets a puncture. What he needs to do is, is manage the car, drive very slowly back to the pits, um, uh, and you know, protect the floor and the rear rear wing. He didn't do that. He, he was frustrated. Clearly, went too fast. The, the tire delaminated and tore up his rear floor. I mean, that was that was the immaturity there. I think the frustration of the poor qualifying, and then obviously the the uh, incident with Hulkenberg. You know, he, he's, he's, uh, he lost control and, and his temp, you know temperament boiled over. So. That was the that was the thing I think you could really criticise him for. I think you know he could have made the Hulkenberg move work. Um, I think he probably needed to be a fraction of a millimetre further um, further away from the Hulkenberg. He probably could have got away with it. <laughs> now, yeah. I, do I think that inevitably, if he was going to keep doing that, he was going to come a cropper sooner or later? I think absolutely. But what he was providing was some entertainment around a race that historically is very dull, where there aren't very many passing opportunities. You know, it's more of a chess match rather than a an overtaking fest and um, you know it, it's, it's Monaco is a very unique race and uh, you know you, you either love it or loathe it I, I tend to start to love it at the beginning of the weekend and start to loathe it sort of 70 laps in when there hasn't been overtaking for, for 20 laps but the, the, you know the spectacle is incredible the history is amazing it should always be on the F1 calendar um, you know this year it was, it was good the guy uh, you know I, I wanted to win um, was actually in the lead in the slow car and held it wooden pack as opposed to you know the years where it's been the reverse situation, um, and um, so yeah, I mean it was. Um, I think you know a couple of other standout points for me was the performances. You know, four Hondas in the top ten in qualifying. Uh, Alex Albon did a cracking job throughout the weekend. His first uh, F1 race at Monaco uh, looked looked very quick, uh, and then Daniel Ricciardo qualifying seventh, promoted to sixth. You know, he really should have got. Um, really strong points finish unfortunately Renault got a little bit eager and they, they pitted him 
under the safety car, which lost in track position. Um, so that resulted in a slightly you know, worse finishing position than he probably should have got, given his pace around the track. But it looks like there's signs of life for Ricardo um, in Renault, which is great news. Uh, I mean, we want, we want more competition, right? We want the Hondas to be competitive. We want Renault to have a good engine and be more competitive with the McLaren and, and the works team. So that's all very promising, I think. Um, you know, the fact that Verstappen... I mean, Red Bull have had a great record around Monaco the last couple of years. Um, you know, they were very quick again this year. Couldn't quite get it on pole. Um, but, you know, absolutely in the mix. So, you know, from that perspective, the race was interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Let's Let's talk for just one minute about the decision Ferrari made to not send... Leclerc out again at the end of Q1. To me, that's the kind of decision that if Haas made, you'd say, well, they're a new team. They're still learning yet. But <laughs> it's <laughs> it's Ferrari. And it, it to me, I've just been aghast almost about some of the decisions they're making. I think, you know, if it had been a driver not in his rookie you know, first year at Ferrari. He's, obviously, he's not a complete rookie. He did a year last year, but it's his rookie season in a Ferrari, so he's, he's still young. He's not, he, you know, he's not a multi-race winner, a multi-champion. I think he questioned Ferrari's decision to keep him in the pits. He wanted to go out, and uh, they overruled him. I think, you know, Vettel wouldn't have listened to them. I think Vettel would have gone out and done a lap, and I think Hamilton would have done a lap. Verstappen would have done a lap, right, and, and just gone with their own intuition and looked at the, the, at the lap times and their, their position tumbling down the order and said, bugger you, I'm going to go out and I'm going to put a, a quicker time in to, to ensure I get through to Q2. So I think there's a little bit of uh, immaturity being demonstrated by Leclerc there. You've got to stamp your authority if you believe you're in danger, right? You go out there and you run a lap. I mean, they can't stop him, I wouldn't have thought. Right? They're not going to stop him if he feels very forceful about going out. And... Uh, I don't know what the benefit of keeping me in the pits was. What were they hoping to gain? Saving up an extra set of tyres? Well, if you don't make Q2, it's all, it's all for nothing, isn't it? So It absolutely is. And and I, I, understand, <clears throat> I understand your point about well, a more mature driver would overrule him and just start getting in the car, and I guess the crew would eventually just get it out. But I, why would you... If I want to know what was going on in Ferrari management's head to want to hold him back. What what were they thinking for the weekend strategy that they were going to gain from keeping him in? Uh, you know, not not using one of those sets of tires. I, I just, I don't see it. No, it doesn't, especially around Monaco, right? You, you only need two sets of tires around Monaco. You're not going to do multiple pit stops. You're going to do one. So I don't understand the benefit of that. I, I understood what Red Bull were trying to do in, in Canada with Verstappen, which cost him you know, a good uh, starting position, but it doesn't make any sense for, for Leclerc in, in Monaco. And you know, ultimately, you know, Ferrari have to, have to look at themselves. It's just they're, they're clearly um, really trying to, to get behind Vettel. Um, they were, you know, Vettel was in trouble, and they were focused on getting Vettel through the Q2, and, and they dropped the ball with Leclerc. And it's inexcusable. It's inexcusable from his own race engineer, his team, and it, you know, and Bonotto has to take responsibility for that. It's just, you know, ridiculous situation. Yeah. I mean, no, can I, you not get through the Q2 in that car, which is clearly, you know, quicker than, than 
you know, 14 other cars by some margin. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that sentiment, absolutely. And uh, I, I, I was just, more than anything, just shocked that the decision was made in the first place and that Leclerc was put in these situations. The only other thing I'll say about Monaco, you're right, that Monaco is not known as a, as a haven for epic passes and things like that, but it is a wonderful spectacle. It is a marvel to see them going around in such tight circumstances. Qualifying at Monaco is the best, one of the best motor racing events in the world, I think, yeah. just the qualifying day. Um, but it has certainly been frustrating that we're now two races in a row. Last year, Dan Ricardo was down his uh, Kurs unit, still won the race. This time, Hamilton had an awful set of tires, second set of tires, still won the race. So it's getting frustrating that the lead car, even wounded, can still stay out in front and uh, win Monaco. That's, that's getting harder to justify. And I do wonder, and you tell me, you have a better historical sense than I do, I think that if we had cars with less downforce, more mechanical grip, that that wouldn't be as severe of a situation. We could see some passes. I don't know about that. I mean, the, one of the classic races of all time for me is 92, Mansell versus Senna. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, Mansell was dominant in the uh, FW14B Williams that year, the active suspension car. Uh, he was leading Monaco by a country mile. Uh, oh, I seven. mean, Mansell did win the championship, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Mansell pitted for new tyres, closed on Senna at something like four seconds a lap, still couldn't get the pass done. I mean, it, you know, that's 92-era cars, right? And the downforce levels and the complexity of the area around the cars, nothing like they are today. Uh, and his grip levels from the new rubber versus Senna's old rubber that had done like 65 laps at that point, you know, it's night and day. Yet, you know, Senna was very smart, knew exactly where to put the car on the track. There's just not enough width there. You either, you know, Mansell didn't want to take the risk like Charles Leclerc did of losing, you know, second place and the six points it would have given him at that, you know, in those days in the points table. Right. Um, and and so he, you know, he tried everything he could. But, uh, and it, I mean, it's epic. You should YouTube it if you haven't seen it recently. I watched it not long ago. I mean, it's just phenomenal motor racing. But you know Mansell's not going to get past Senna because Senna's too good. And the types, you know, just not, not designed to allow the passing. It, it's just the way it is. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. It's one race a year. I'm willing to, as you said, the spectacle more than compensates for it. Um, but I think it's just, uh, you know, until they can find a way to, to uh, you know, create more space. Maybe they have to build into the harbour to create an extra rotating spot. <laughs> I don't know. But it uh, just seems like it's just going to be the way it is. And I'm happy with that. I'll, I'd keep it on the calendar rather than lose it. For sure. Yeah. Hey, yeah. one one of the one other thought I have on on the race is that Williams, uh, George Russell was actually fastest of all the cars on three consecutive laps. He was lapping quicker than Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> so maybe there's life for Williams. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, let's uh, let's let's move on to Canada, where obviously the lead story is that Pierre Gasly outqualified. Max Verstappen, which clearly uh, it is within the two-tenths of a second rule, which means you owe me a beer. I want a good, 
I want it cold. I'm very important. This is a cold beer we're talking about. And, uh, I mean, I think I think I'm going to get it tall. I think I'm going to get. I think I'm going to go big here. Okay. I mean, I'll I'll buy you that beer, mate. But reality is, it's going to taste good because he didn't earn it, did he? He didn't really genuinely outqualify Verstappen. He only outqualified Verstappen because he got the soft tires, and Verstappen, when he got those on his car, yeah, uh, Mr. Magnussen. And decided to throw it in the wall, preventing him from setting a lap time. That's the only reason why Gasly outqualified him. You know it, I know it. But I'll you, still buy you the beer. I'll still you buy know, you the beer. You know for a fact <laughs> that every single time that Max Verstappen has outqualified Pierre Gasly, it's because Kevin Magnussen puts it in the wall or, <laughs> or uh, Robert Kubica, you know, you know, he duffs it up or something like that, or Max spins the car in his own. I mean, I'm sorry, or Pierre spins the car in his own because he's going too fast and no one can believe it. So, so, so finally, well, well, luck turns the other way, and you try to you try to call foul. I, I will not have it. So how does how does you, how do you justify Gasly finishing behind two Renaults in the race? Then? Is that stunningly quick? Um, because I'll admit he's young yet, and he was just. Uh, he was showboating too much. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, waving to the crowd 20 laps before the end of the race. That wasn't smart. So... I mean, I think, I think in reality, you're, you're going to win the beer <laughs> because he's going to lose his seat. I think if he continues <laughs> to perform like he did in Canada, he's going. I mean, the rumors are already starting to swirl. There is a rumor that Vettel might retire at the end of the year. So... Oh. There's all kinds of rumors, is my point. Okay. I mean, why wouldn't you think about retiring after the weekend you just had? I mean, you, you know, he blew his best chance for a win this, 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 uh, this season. Yeah, so, of course, let's talk about that. Uh, Sebastian Vettel did cross the finish line first. He was given a five-second penalty for a several laps earlier, um, gaining an advantage, like, you know, off the track, no, no, no. It was uh, unsafe return to the track was the technical penalty, I believe. But a lot of people were not happy about that, including Vettel. Uh, I'm very curious to hear your take on it. You know, the the there was there was some conversation on um, the Fun with Cars Facebook page, and almost universally on the Fun with Cars Facebook page, people think. Vettel was acting childish in that the stewards made the right call. I agree with him. I mean, look, first of all, let's give him some props. He did a phenomenal job in qualifying. Out-qualified Hamilton by two tenths. You know, the, the Ferrari was quick, um, and he put it on pole. And he did a great job. You know, his first pole since Germany of 2018, um, you know, was significantly quicker than his teammate and got the job done. So, you know... Awesome start. He then, you know, got a, made a good start from pole position, and he was controlling the race. The race was his. I mean, Hamilton didn't have the straight line speed to get past him. All he had to do was keep it clean and manage manage Hamilton, just like Hamilton did to Verstappen in the prior race. Now, okay, different track, more overtaking opportunities, slightly more challenging, but ultimately, as long as he harvested the energy, made a good. Uh, um, you know, breaking and, and power out of the hairpin to get onto the main straight. He, he was going to keep the keep the win, right? And uh, and yet he made a mistake. He made a he made a pretty awful error, which he hasn't talked about why he made the error. I mean, all his all his shenanigans after the race and all the complaining about the penalty. 
hide. He's, he's basically trying to hide the fact he's made another mistake. He dropped the ball. He went off the track. He then returned to the track and then tried to put, you know, and blocked Hamilton. That, that, those are the facts. If he'd been smarter, he could have gone off the track, rejoined the track, and given Hamilton room. Then he could have maybe fought Hamilton and kept the lead, and then he wouldn't have got a penalty. But he made two mistakes. First of all, he threw it off the track. Second of all, he did what, you know, let's be honest, it's an instinctive move. You block, you block the competition, right? You stop them from passing. We all get it. But the point is, is that you can't do that if you've just been off the track. You're going to get a penalty. And, and it was, you know, those are the rules. They're written in, in black and white. He knows the rules. And he fell foul of them. And so he's got nothing to complain about other than he shouldn't have put it off the road in the first place. So that's the only thing he's got to analyze. Why did he, why did he drop the ball again? Yeah, I, I think I mostly agree with that. I think, I think the point that has made the most sense to me was, you know, if he made that exact same mistake, but there wasn't grass to easily recover and have the slide, you know, it would have been a very different circumstance. Um, and he would have been out of the race, uh, let alone not winning the race. But I think part of the reason why he was pushing as hard as he was is because he knew there was runoff area there that he could make such a mistake and not totally bin it. So that's my counter-argument to that. Um, yeah, but why, why push hard there? He's not, he's not in danger of losing. No, I, I agree with that. And I think that's, I think that's the... I think that's the soundest argument we have yet is that he was pushing in the wrong places. He wasn't thinking strategically. And the thing that bothers me the most, though, you know, to me, he made the mistake of going off track and he did gain an advantage in a way that he was able to stay in front despite the mistake. But so to me, that's the penalty. But the re-entering unsafely, I have a much harder time with because... I don't know what else he really could have done to enter the track differently. It's not like it's not like there was an overt, obvious move. To, he was just recovering the car. The car was in a re, the rear was sliding when he transitioned from the grass to the tarmac, and uh, he was he was just uh, protecting it to avoid the wall. I don't I didn't see any deliberate maneuver to block Hamilton so much as a keep the car under him. Well, I think that what, what the stewards basically said was based on the data and some of the other views that we weren't necessarily able to see. He had the car under control and then allowed it to continue to go to the outside of the track, basically blocking Hamilton's path off. So yeah, they, they held the view that he wasn't fighting the car all the way to the wall. I think if he had been, um, you know, and really on the limit trying to just get it under control, they probably wouldn't have given him the penalty for, for the block. But ultimately, uh, they, they, the, the data is suggesting that he, he knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, I thought Vettel's comment that Hamilton should have just passed on the inside is completely disingenuous. If you look from the, from the plan view um, of that corner, you know, Hamilton would have had to break and then deliberately turn to the inside, obviously then losing all the momentum and the opportunity to pass. He was obviously always going to try and go around the outside. And so that, that was never an option to Hamilton. It wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, you know, the Hill-Schumacher crash where Hill could have done anything else in that corner and he would have won, you know, the championship in 94. This was Hamilton had, you know, there was only one line he could take. Uh, Vettel's basically cutting him off from taking an inside line. He's literally in front of him. So there was, that was never an option for Lewis. So I think, 
um, ultimately, that's what I was saying. I think if, if Vettel had got, you know, he regained control of the car, he's now in the middle of the track. He had a choice, right? You either stay to the inside, give your opponent racing room, and then try and still hold on to the lead, which he didn't do but should have. Instead, he instinctively, as a racer, thought, well, Hamilton's obviously going to be on my outside, so I better close the door, which obviously is what you could do if you hadn't just cut the previous corner. So, that, you know, therefore you deserve a penalty. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's completely cut and dried for me. I mean, if, they, if that wasn't grass at that corner, and if they put, you know, pavement there or whatever, and he cut that, and it took that line, then that's obviously cheating. I mean, you're basically taking a shortcut across that corner. So you'd, you'd incur a penalty for that. Now, we, we feel less inclined to feel that way because there's grass there, and obviously the car got out of control. But ultimately, you are taking a shortcut. You're off the track. I mean, it wasn't. that's not debatable. It was all four wheels off the track, right? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It's, it's just, uh, and if, if there were different views that showed that Vettel had control of the car earlier than... It's just then, then it looked. Then that that's absolutely fair. The um, the issue that I have, you know, I've seen it before. Why couldn't the declaration be Vettel has to let uh, Hamilton pass, and then and then he could have a chance to fight back and pass him back, and then we would have had a real race on our hands for those last ten laps, fifteen laps, and it would have been fair. Yeah, that's a, that's a reasonable point. I guess according according to my understanding, that the, there were three penalties that they could hand down: five second, ten second, stop coat. So that isn't an option for the stewards at the moment in terms of forcing the driver to relinquish the position. But maybe that should be added. That's a, that's a fair point because uh, that, that is the situation. I mean, you know, honestly, why didn't Ferrari immediately tell him to to relinquish the position to Hamilton before the stewards handed down the penalty? Right, that, that was an option they could have they could have considered. Right, you you you, you clearly impeded Lewis to give him the spot. Right, hopefully the stewards then won't give you the penalty because you relinquished the position, and then you're free to, to try and fight it. Yeah, and that's another thing they could have tried to do. But no, the stewards don't have that as an option. They gave him the most lenient penalty they could, um, which I think was was fair. I think five seconds. Um, you know, it, it didn't deserve anything more draconian than that. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's, it, 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 at the end of the day, he still, he still had the option to try and pull the five seconds out, and he wasn't able to get it done, right? I mean, Lewis could just sit there second behind all day, it, it seems. So, uh, But he still was in the fight. He, you know, Stocko would have completely killed his race uh, and would have been really harsh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he would have ended up off the podium by a healthy margin at that point. But, but in, you know, interestingly, Ferrari never told Leclerc that Vettel had a penalty. I mean, Leclerc was flying at the end of the race, and uh, you know, if he'd known that, you know, he didn't need to catch up with Seb, he could, uh, well, or Lewis, right? He probably didn't think he'd catch Lewis, but what he what he probably didn't realise is if he went up to the gearbox of Lewis's car, he would have got second place. He wasn't he wasn't worried. And that's again, it just shows a consistent pattern of Ferrari favouring the wrong driver over here. Ferrari management is just become it's just becoming a laughing stock, almost in my opinion. But um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the podium ceremony and the interviews, things like that. Not Sebastian Vettel's behavior. I'm very, very confident that I know your answer to that. But of Lewis's behavior, I was a bit surprised at how how um, 
much. Lewis was like, "Hey, man, I didn't make the decision. He was he was really, uh, really almost pandering to Vettel, taking his side in a way that, frankly, surprised me a little bit." Well, first of all, I think it was utter genius by Vettel. Right, you've just made a major mistake and you've cost yourself and the, and the team the win, which they desperately need. So he he completely deflected all of the heat that he was he was probably going to get from making the mistake onto you know the penalty was unfair. I should have been the rightful winner. Right, getting all this sympathy from the local crowd and and, uh, and a lot lot of people out there right to watch the race. And that the conversation is not about Vettel dropping the ball again. It's about, you know, the penalty. It's about, you know, was Hamilton a deserving winner? I mean, ultimately, Lewis, I've always believed, he doesn't like to win races that way. He's not a guy who wants, he want, you know, he wants to win it fair and square. He wants to win the race by passing his opponents well, on the track. or, or and, that, and that part's totally fair. And I completely respect Lewis saying he doesn't like winning the race that way. He said that about when Valtteri was forced to move over for yeah, uh, Hamilton. Yeah, totally respect that. But the the much as much as he said, "Hey, man, don't look at me." It was the stewards, the way he deflected, and you know, it, I understand that Vettel was already in an emotionally delicate situation. He was already hot, and you know, he was storming around those things, and you don't want to add to it, but. I, you know, Lewis had gained so much of my respect as he's aged and matured as a driver, and just how complete a package he is when it comes to these things, you know, interviews, podium, all this kind of stuff. And to me, this was a little bit of a retraction. It's like, hey man, no, stand up for yourself. It's like, say, hey man, wasn't my decision, but you did make a mistake and you did block me. Well, I did. I did. One of his comments did amuse me. He said, you know, I like racing Sebastian. Well, of course he does. He comes out on top every time. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, I think it's a difficult situation, isn't it? I mean, I, I wouldn't... Yeah, even even when you've won as many races as he has, that's, it's never comfortable when you're up there and you've got, a, you know, a crowd that are clearly not happy with the results and... Uh, and a, and a voicing that. I mean, it, it's 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 uh, it's tricky. I mean, I agree. I mean, ultimately, he should have just said, "Look, the rules are the rules. He he, he transgressed them. Therefore, you know, he got the penalty. Um, not the greatest way to win, but there it is." I, I agree with you. It, it could have been more forthright on that front. I guess you know the interesting thing is that we've been discussing this race for a few minutes now, and we haven't talked about the fact that his major championship rival just didn't show up. I mean, where did Valtteri go this weekend? Shocking. Yeah, it's so funny. I was just about to bring that up. Um, he is, uh, you know, at Monaco to a lesser extent. And now here, you know, the strength that Botas was showing early in the season. I don't know if that's fading or if Lewis has just turned it up. But uh, it does seem like uh, Hamilton is... is gaining an advantage over his teammate yet again. Certainly nothing like it was last year. And well, I think, for all I we think, know, we'll come back in France and Valtteri's dominant again. But it, these last couple of races have not been good for Botas. Well, I think Monaco, his performance was strong, right? I mean, he missed out on pole by a whisker. That was a very good battle between Hamilton and Botas for pole position. Obviously, whoever gets the pole is in, is in the dominant position. 
and he lost it by up by you know it was, it was what, a tenth and change or something. It was a very very small amount, and Hamilton had to dig deep to get that pole position. So you were thinking, okay, it's still a strong performance, and he would have got second place, but ultimately lost out in the in the pit stops and, and got bashed into by by Verstappen. So not not his fault. So I don't think he you know we still saw Bottas 2.0 in, in Monaco, but. He went back to 1.0 in, in Canada. I mean, the qualifying was awful. Spin on his first Q3 lap, and then he had a very scrappy second uh, second run. You know, he didn't even qualify in the top four, which is disgraceful in that car. You know, especially with the fact that Max was already out, right? I mean, it should have been should have been a piece of cake. Um, yet, he, you know, he got <laughs> qualified by you know, none other than Pierre Gasly. Shocking. So, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, it is... His pace in the race, uh, he finished fourth. Well, what did he do? He got the he got the fastest lap, but he never looked like taking the fight to Charles, did he? So, um, well, anyway. he got the fastest lap because he took his pit stop because he could mm-hmm. put on fresh tires, and you know very deliberately went for the fast lap. Yeah, which is smart. Why not? But you know he should have been in the fight for for the podium prior to that, right? And, and, and only because he was out of it could he afford another pit stop. So. Um, yeah, weak. He's got to eliminate that. If he's going to have any hope of, of taking a fight to Lewis over the course of the season, he's got he's got to eliminate those mistakes. So I think he's had his one his one buy. He's already now twenty nine points behind Lewis in the drivers' championship, which is looking ominous. Which I mean, really, it's, I mean, yes, that's it. But it's that's a race win in a bit. I mean, it's not that big. It's uh, it's definitely an easily recoverable amount of positions. Um, were things to start going his way, or he ticked up the performance one notch. So, uh, I think it's too early to write off twenty nine points behind. And you know, the one thing that is that does remain shocking throughout all of this is that Mercedes has won every single Grand Prix this season, and uh, it were it was one twos for the first five rounds. You know, these two these two races were the first non one twos. But they've won every race. It's been and they've won every race when the competition has been tighter than it has been since twenty fourteen. So, you know, when it comes to strategy decisions, uh, driver performance, uh, pit stop performance and Mercedes, you just you could not ask. I mean they're just absolutely dominant when it comes to most every metric you would think of a Formula 1 team yeah I mean I I agree with that I got, I got three three points in, in, in reply, one is that you know the ominous thing for Botas fans is that you know the start of the season is typically Lewis's weakest part of the season he just gets stronger particularly after the summer so um, he, he's got to be worried about that and, and um, you know secondly Mercedes shouldn't have won all seven races. Ferrari should have won at least two, and they, they've, you know, they've failed to capitalise on having a good car and being in strong positions. And they got, they got to sort that out because they should be, they should be winning races with their car, and, and certainly with the with the power unit they've got, it's very, very strong. Um, you know, and yeah, Mercedes have done a great job, but there are there are signs of hope for the opposition. I mean, they introduced a new engine upgrade. All the teams got it. Um, in Canada, and yet uh, Stroll's engine blew up in, <laughs> you know, pretty early on. Um, 
which is I, I haven't heard any analysis from the blow up to, to understand what the what the cause was. But that that is a little worrying that you introduce brand new upgraded powertrain and you immediately lose a unit when you haven't lost one all season. Um, so maybe maybe there's some fundamental issues there that, that might give the opposition some some opportunities down the road here. Well, listen, not every engine supplier can make Honda reliability. We all know that. Yeah, so after Honda's great performance in uh, Monaco, we had Renault. So um, four Renaults in the top ten, Ricardo in, in fourth, and um, and they were racy. I mean, not only were they quick on on a single lap. I mean, they did a they did a very good job in the race. I mean, they ultimately lost out to Max. He he was able to recover from his eleventh grid spot and and, and pit them. Um, but uh, but there are signs of life at Renault. Um, which is, which is good. I mean, they should be a works team. They should be up there uh, with the likes of Mercedes and, and Ferrari, right? I mean, they've got the resources. Uh, they've got the history in the sport. They should be competitive. So it's good that we're seeing some progress, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Although, um, uh, the <laughs> this isn't Renault's fault, certainly not putting it there, but Lando Norris and his DNF in Canada, you know, yeah, just shocking. Just eight laps into the Grand Prix, you know, first sight looks like, wow, he hit the wall of champions, clearly. And uh, But then you look back at the replay and it's, no, the part just failed. The, the You know, the rear suspension just straight failed. And uh, that was, I think, really unfortunate for Lando. He had been doing very well. He's had a great season so far. Certainly his performance, he's proven his capabilities. But um, to me, I was... They talked about the heat from the brakes causing the part to fail, but man, I, that's, I don't think that's an acceptable answer if you're McLaren. And, you know, for us stateside folks, the fact that McLaren failed to build a car that would qualify for the Indianapolis 500 just a few weeks ago, and then something like this happens, this is evidence to me of a team that's got some fissures in the foundation. Well, I think that's a little strong. I mean, look, Carlos finished 11th, so they, they took a car that, that was able to complete the race distance. If both cars had failed in the same manner around the same part of the race, I'd agree with you. But the fact that, that something, I think some, something exceptional happened to Lando Norris's car, so uh, one of which could have been he could have got debris in the, in the, in the duct for the for the uh, air cooling for the rear brake, right? In which case, you know, if you get a visor tear off or a plastic bag or whatever, then the brake's not being cooled effectively, therefore, you know, it overheats and then sets fire to your rear suspension quite spectacularly. I mean, that's, I don't know that for a fact, but that's a possibility. Um, to me, if there was something fundamentally wrong with the car, both cars should have failed, and that wasn't the case. So I think there's some extenuating circumstances there. Um, I think McLaren... You know, they they both uh, qualified in the top ten. Um, Saints was just outside the top ten in the race. Yeah, Norris's finish was a bit unusual, but I, I think McLaren have made good progress this season. And I think it, you know, what's going on in F1 and, and what happened in IndyCar are two very different situations. And I, um, uh, I don't really, I don't really see a fundamental issue with the McLaren organisation. Uh, Mr. Roche, you are ever the statesman and gentleman. Uh, just, I applaud you for that. So, before 
we leave racing entirely, uh, one of the reasons why uh, I had so much trouble finding time to record a podcast before this morning was uh, the Detroit Grand Prix uh, last weekend. It was nine days ago now, and it was a very busy, very wonderful weekend. I interviewed a lot of great drivers and team owners and things like that. Um, did you did you go yourself, Chris? I did. I took my kids on the Sunday when it was slightly less down. So, how did you feel about the Detroit Grand Prix yourself? I had a great weekend. Yeah, I mean, it was very cost effective. My kids were free. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't, it wasn't expensive to get in. Parking arrangements, you know, the bus transport all worked well. Uh, we got good seats and a great view. Um, Where were you sitting? We were in the grandstand. Um, it was grandstand seven. It was the end. You know how the, the back straights basically split into into two sections as you go uh, do a little sort of U shape around the, the little terraces that they set up there. So we were at the corner at the end of the first section of the straight. Okay. Where Sebastian Bourdais, he didn't like that corner. He kept consistently running straight on. Um, we were at that corner, and, and I tell you what, we got two new IndyCar fans in in the, in the family. So uh, both my kids seemed to really enjoy the race. They followed it followed it along the whole whole race distance. Um, they are now uh, part of the Will Power fan club. They were very impressed that you know he started in such a lowly position and fought his way up to the podium. And um, yeah, it was good fun. We enjoyed it. I mean. You know, it's not a great track either, Detroit, is it? I mean, there's... there's well, no, I, I I disagree with that wholeheartedly. It's definitely a unique track. It definitely has its quirks, but to me, that's what brings out its brilliance, is because it's so difficult and, and uh, challenging in terms of uh, the surface and the bumpiness and everything like that. To me, that brings unique challenges, and I, and I really like that. I mean, passing is, is challenging, is my point, right? There aren't too many great passing spots. Uh, I mean, we did see some pretty pretty interesting <laughs> crashes uh, as people were trying to pass each other. Um, so that's still something I think they can try and improve, give it, you know, have it create a genuine overtaking spot on the track. But uh, but no, it was, it was it was darn good fun. Um, I have to say, Max Chilton. Oh, before I go there, uh, paddock access was fabulous as well. So being able to get around, I said hi to Roger Penske. He was riding around on a scooter. Um, so that was great to be able to walk the paddock with the kids, see the cars. Um, yeah, very, absolutely. Yeah, and if drivers are there, they they'll almost always, uh, you know, autograph uh, something for you, things like that. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. So highly recommended. Wasn't impressed with Max Chilton. Um, he's extremely slow. I don't quite know what's going on with him. I'm not sure. He really deserves to be an Indy car, to be honest. Well, well since now decided to drop out of all the oval races. I was well. just going to mention that, exactly. You know, Max, you know, I interviewed him last year, and it was a fun interview. But he, he's, he's, he's not, he's out of place at IndyCar. He's, he's very pro-England. I understand that. Uh, disagree with him on his tea temperature choices, but whatever. Um... But he, he, his heart's in England. He, he flies back to England every Sunday evening after the Grand Prix. And he very much prefers life in England. There's tons of road racing in England. Do it there. His brother 
is, you know, a you know, British touring car champion legend almost, do it there. I, I don't understand why he he feels the need to dog around an IndyCar not being competitive when he has so many opportunities to race right in England. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's not competitive. What's his second season now? He's, he was slow last year, slow this year. Um, I think it's his third. It's his second season with Harlan. Wow. And, you know, at the end of the day, you've, you've had your chance. If you're not, as you say, you've got to commit to these things wholeheartedly. If you want to race in England, you've got to move to England. If you want to race in the States, you should move to the States. It doesn't have to be permanent, but, you know, while the season's on, you know, live here, train here, get to know your team, get to know Get, your, you know, get to know your team, get to know your crew. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, it's not good enough. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, one of the reasons why they think Michael Andretti never made it in F1, because he never committed to the move to, to the U.K., yeah. Um, so you know, there's, there's there's a history of, of drivers not adapting to the local environment, and, uh, and yeah. So that's I exactly agree. right. It's, it's odd. I mean, it's, it's it's also sort of muddying or dirtying the the, the the reputation of British drivers in IndyCar. I mean, they've been great ones down the years, but right now he's an also ran, and he should probably just you know, as you said, go and go and pick a good series in the UK. It's plenty or Europe, right? I mean, you know, racing in Europe but living in the UK is much more feasible than than you know, racing in the US and living in the UK. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you should go do yeah. sports cars or DTM or anything else, really, because he doesn't, he, he shouldn't be in the in, in an IndyCar seat. He's, you know, IndyCar is still the second tier of, of single-seater racing. You, you really want the best drivers that can't quite, you know, get into F1 to be in it. I think, and, and, it, and it was great when it was a feeder series for F1 to some degree, uh, and I'd like to see it sort of back to that sort of status. So you've got to weed out these weak drivers. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with about fifty percent of that, and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. F1's a feeder series for IndyCar, is that? No, it? no. Well, in, well, actually, in a way, it's kind of sort of become that. <laughs> um, in a, in a sense, no, it's the retirement uh, grab. It, exactly, it is the retirement. Exactly. <laughs> but it, it's the um, no. I think Formula. I think Formula One is absolutely the the most elite open wheel open wheel series out there. Um, I'm not arguing against that, but I definitely do not think that IndyCar's place is a feeder series to Formula One. Um, and I think the best the best IndyCar drivers out there would absolutely be plenty competitive in Formula One. Um, you know, Scott Dixon. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, uh, Alexander Rossi, of course, you know. So that's I think I think there's if we were to look at a Venn di- diagram, I would have the two circles of F1 and IndyCar overlap a lot more than you would in terms of driver talent. I think. Oh, so I think you're misunderstanding my point. I mean, I, I one of your favorite all-time drivers, you know, cut his teeth in IndyCar and then went on to win the World Championship in, in Formula 1, right? Jacques Villeneuve. Um, <laughs> Pablo Montoya. Montoya dominated, dominated IndyCar and then went to Formula 1 and, and was super competitive, won races. I think he should have won a championship. I, I'm a huge fan of Montoya. You've got people like Bourdais. Bourdais used IndyCar very successfully to relaunch his, his bid to get an F1. My point is, is that you know, drivers who've been able to stand out in IndyCar have then been able to justify an F1 drive. And that's great. That's how it should be, right? It should be another pathway into F1, especially for drivers that maybe don't have huge backing that can't or can't buy a seat. Um, 
And uh, I have the utmost respect for, I mean, people like Dixon, absolute legends. I mean, he's a legend of the sport. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure if he'd had, a, if he'd had an opportunity in a decent seat in F1, he would have done very well. No doubt about that. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot, a lot we can agree on there. But um, it, we do need to wrap up it is getting a little bit busier at the Starbucks <laughs> and uh, uh, so uh, I do want to quickly point out that the uh, next Indy, uh, next Formula 1 race is the French Grand Prix on the on the 23rd of June the next IndyCar race is the Grand Prix of Road America in Wisconsin that's also on the 23rd of June and that is a fantastic race uh, that it might be one that I might kind of pressure you to watch on TV with me um, the next World Endurance Championship race is the World Endurance Championship finale. It is the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and uh, it is June 15th. It is an epic race. It is the most crazy race weekend of the year, in my opinion, and I will be there. I am going. In fact, I'm leaving tonight. And finally, um, uh, the IMSA series is going to have the six hours at Watkins Glen. Watkins Glen is such a great racetrack. That's coming up on June 30th. And I want to quickly point out, there was some weird snafu in the schedule. I was talking about uh, a race at Mosport in the middle of May. That, is, that was not the case. There was not that race. That race is coming in July. I think uh, the schedule was actually mistaken at one point, and I don't understand exactly how that happened. But that doesn't matter. Uh, Mosport is coming later. Their next race is the six hours at Watkins Glen. And I want to thank you for listening Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. And real quick about that, I want to say I have been receiving the feedback. I have been listening to it. I do appreciate it. Um, Thank you very much. I just haven't been publicly talking about it on air, and maybe I should go through it and, and do that a bit. Anyway, tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Chris, we did it again, even from your bunker. (laughs) Thanks, Robin. Thanks for listening. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye.